0: Bible might is from Romans chapter three, starting at verse twenty one, and you'll find that in the Pew Bibles on page one thousand one hundred and thirty one. So it's Romans chapter three, verse beginning at verse twenty one. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Amen.
1: A pew bible and turn uh, to romans chapter 3 uh, tonight and have that open uh, in front of you that'd be great you'll find it on page uh, 1130 so 1130 let me pray for us as we come uh, to explore tonight faith alone Father God, we thank you tonight for those truths that we've been singing about, about how the wretch has become your treasure. And Father, tonight we thank you for the return to these great truths of the Reformation that still have a rippling out effect today. And Father, as we come to consider faith alone, we pray that it will magnify the work of God in each of our lives, that we'll leave this place praising you And understanding better what you have done for us, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One, One of the biggest questions that you can ever ask, or that somebody may ask you in life, is this. How can you and I be brought into a right relationship and standing before God? Imagine tomorrow morning that a friend or work colleague said that to you, out of the blue. How... Can I be right with God? How can I stand before him? How can I be in a relationship with God? What, what would you say to them? It's one of those questions that would stump us, wouldn't it? Where do you start? Because the question assumes something from the very off, doesn't it? It assumes that our lives and our relationship and standing before God has to be corrected, has to be changed, has to be altered, doesn't it? Because we're asking, how can I be brought into a right relationship with him? And scripture is clear about our standing before God. We could have read Ephesians 2 tonight, and maybe we should have along with Romans, because Ephesians 2 tells us that we are dead in our sins, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. And I think of a time when I was traveling with my dad to kind of illustrate what dead means. We were driving, and maybe I've told this before, we were driving in a car and this big massive dog ran across the car and all we heard was thump and the car, and rolled over this dog, huge dog. My dad, who's a bit of a... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll describe him in a minute. He picked up the dog literally, looked for the owner, and the dog is completely dead. Okay? He picked him up by the, by the two paws on either side and carried this dog up the driveway into this person's house, landed it on the porch, and the dog was dead, even though it was warm. All right? And I was there left in shock. My dad thought nothing of it. You know, the dog ran out in front of us but he killed stone dead, the dog. The dog was dead, even though he was warm. And for some reason, I always read, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, in the same terms, that we're alive, your heart is beating. A bit like that dog, still warm, but you're dead as a dodo. You're stone dead. And spiritually, that's the way we are. That God's word assesses us and says, you are dead in your trespasses and sin." we're objects of God's wrath, is what it goes on to say. And chapter 3 that you've opened in front of you, Romans, doesn't paint any better of a picture of our standing before God. It tells us in no uncertain terms in verse 11, do you see it? That no one understands, no one seeks God. Verse 12, we've turned away from God, we are held accountable as well. And finally, verse 23, a famous verse, We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is God's assessment, Scripture's assessment of our status and relationship towards God. Then the question is, how can people who are like this, rebellious, (coughs) sinful, be reconciled to God who is just and holy and perfect? How is it possible? How can we be justified before him when the verdict shouts out, guilty, sinful, but we read of good news in these verses in Romans chapter 3 tonight because verse 24 tells us this. Those who have fallen short of the glory of God, that they can be justified, made right with God, verse 24, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Amen. The redemption that comes through Christ the one who came into the world, faced temptations, knew what it was to live in our body, knew what it was to need and to be hungry and, and tired. He lived his life without sin, yet was perfect and obedient in all that he did. While on trial, Jesus numerous times was declared innocent, as we were learning over Easter. And yet his death on the cross meant that he was separated from his Father. That cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is finished. It is finished three days later, God raises his son to life. His sacrifice was acceptable, and so God's wrath and justice has been met, and it now means that there is a righteousness available to you and me that is from Christ alone. It's outside of us, and it is all of God's doing. Isn't that wonderful news tonight, as you think, how can I be reconciled? God has done it all through his Son. And that is why verses 21 and 22 of chapter 3 says the following, But now the righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is a right standing and relationship to be had with God through Jesus. It means that we can stand before God in Christ's righteousness, his goodness and perfection, his obedience. It's that great exchange that was often explained, where here is our sin, and it is put on Christ. And in exchange, he gives us his righteousness and his goodness and perfection. And so we stand before God in Christ's righteousness. How do we get it? How is it brought about? Because tonight, faith alone is what we're looking at. James Montgomery Boyce, who preached in 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, wrote these words, which are lovely about justification. He says this, Justification is an act of God by which the sinner is declared to be righteous by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. And if you were to add in, to the glory of God alone. Christ has done everything by his death and resurrection. But how does this great exchange happen? How is it mediated? How is it brought about? Do you earn it? Is it just within you? Are you re- is it ready to be released? Kind of. No. It calls for faith. Trust. Do you remember George Michael's, as it's cheesy now, but do you remember George Michael's 1986-7 hit where he used to say, you've got to have faith, faith, faith. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> you've got to have faith, faith, faith. Remember that song? And there's something when we look to Scripture of the necessity of faith that is needed. And the passage before us tonight even, in the just ten verses that we have, eight times it mentions faith. To take an example, look at verse 22. Righteousness from God who comes through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 25. God presented him a sacrifice of atonement, true faith in his blood. And then verse 26. God is the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. These examples and the others in these are, spell out to us that to be made right with God, to be justified before him, to be able to gain the benefits of what Christ has done through the cross, faith, trust is necessary. It is essential. You've got to have it. But I don't know about you, but when it comes to grasping that link between faith and justification being right before God, there is confusion, isn't there? And there is misunderstandings, even today. And one of the misunderstandings, and I hope I explained this right, is this, is that we can often see faith as a possession. Take, for example, Jeff. He's a very good neighbor, very religious in that he attends a public space, place of worship every week. He'll even talk about his faith. And just faith has helped him through many circumstances in life. He'll talk openly about belief and will say, my faith. But the problem with often describing that is that if you talk to a non-Christian, they'll often say this to you, and have you heard this? I wish I had your faith. As if it was a possession that you owned. As if you had mustered up something that was of this great belief and trust, and they say, and it it almost disempowers people because they believe, I couldn't have faith like that person. And sometimes we do misunderstand faith by thinking it's some sort of possession, like a carton of milk. I own it, it's mine. But another one is this, is that often we understand, have a misunderstanding of faith as merit. Take Eva, for example. She... (laughs) Do you want to... Is that all right mark? (laughs) Eva, for example, sees the importance of faith because faith is vital to how God will respond and continue with her. Eva sees her faith as working with, alongside God's work. So if she is weak in her faith or if she loses her faith, it's a disaster because her faith gives her some sort of credit along with God's work. You see, these two examples of seeing faith as a possession, something inside of us, or as a means of gaining something from God alongside his work are misunderstandings of what true biblical faith are, and they're certainly not saving faith. So let's start with this question. What is faith? What is it? Because every day... (laughs) we exercise various degrees of faith. Even as you came in tonight, you exercised a tiny little bit of trust, didn't you? These old pews, right? You trusted that they'd stay up. You trusted that the screws are still working, that 10 of you on a pew are not gonna collapse at this moment in time. Tomorrow morning, you trust that chair that you sit in for your breakfast. And at a basic level, faith is that kind of trust. Another way of putting it is that faith is reliance upon something or someone. If you've ever done a bungee jump, you're relying on that bit of rubber rope, aren't you, to hold you and to contain you. You're relying upon it. Or you're relying, if you've ever seen that trick where people fall back into someone else, you're relying on them to catch you. And as I lean on this lectern tonight, it is a reliance that it won't collapse, or even your violin, all right? It's a reliance that it didn't hold up. It's trusting something. As you get on an airplane, you're putting your trust in the pilot and this craft to take you there. We have daily ideas of faith. It's all about reliance and trust in something or someone because faith has an object. And biblical faith is centered on a person. You see, throughout the scriptures, as you go through the Old Testament, the gospel accounts, or into the letters of Paul, the recurring theme is that biblical faith is solely centered on the person of God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Take, for example, Abraham. When he was promised children and land, we're told in Genesis 15 that he believed the Lord and God counted to him as righteousness. Abraham trusted in God and his promises. Here's what Christopher Ash says about Abraham's faith. He says, Abraham didn't just have faith, as a kind of abstract quality. No, Abraham believed the covenant promises of God. He believed God would do what he said he would do. Faith is based on the person of God and his promises. This again shows itself in Romans 3 tonight as well, through faith in Jesus Christ in verse 22. Verse 26, the one who has faith in Jesus. Biblical faith, is fixed on Jesus as the object. Jonathan Edwards put it this way when he was talking about faith. He said this, faith in the mediator is what makes a believer fit for receiving justification. Ultimately, it is about Christ and his work, not about the human and his or her faith. That's what it's about. It is centered on Christ and his work. The focus is centered on him. But so often, folks, we have misplaced faith. Misplaced faith can be on different things. It can be clothed in works where our lives are built on what we make or do of our own lives. They can be built on going to church. It can be built on saying our prayers, reading the scriptures, doing the sacraments, our trust in these things. And so by doing them, we believe, alongside God's help, that the process makes us right with God. There are some who attend Presbyterian churches for communion. Why is that? Are they trusting sacrament to make them right with God? Is it trusting him that way? Is it trusting him if I don't read my scriptures, if I don't pray that I'm going to be out of kilter with God, out of right relationship with him? That is not the way biblical saving faith works. That was the huge problem for the medieval church and its teaching at the time in the Reformation. The thinking was that you had to keep the commandments of Christ, regular confession and a penance, and then receiving the sacraments. God's grace was infused into believers more and more over time as you did this. And so they gained a righteousness of their own. But it essentially takes away God's work. To put it in crude terms, it's a little bit of God and a little bit of yourself, helping it all along. But if it's not fixed on Jesus Christ alone through faith alone. It's not biblical faith. Rather, it is about us and Christ's true works and faith alone. Misplaced faith can also look like we're the ones who've done everything by means of trusting, where it becomes about my faith, my weak faith, my strong faith. It is my, myself and I kind of faith. These types of misplaced faith center ultimately on us. They mustering about up our faith our efforts of faith, they are misplaced and misguided. But the question then is this, where then does faith come from? Where does faith ultimately come from? Is it from God, from us, or within us? Is that an important question to ask? To be honest, I grappled with this over the last week, and I want to put something forward to you tonight, the following, that if you're like that dead dog, (laughs) spiritually, dead in your sins, how can you respond by faith? Have a think about that for a minute, because this is quite a distinctive teaching of Reformed theology and probably Presbyterian theology, that if you are dead as that dog is, how do you respond by faith? What makes you alive? Because the beauty of it is this, Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. God makes us alive. Spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. And later on in Ephesians 2.8, it says this, for by grace you've been saved, true faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. God makes you and I spiritually alive. So in order to respond by faith. Have you thought about that before? To respond to Jesus' invitation to come. This work of God in our lives is often known as regeneration. It's God's work through the Holy Spirit of bringing new birth. And part of that is the ability to respond to Jesus in faith. How can a dead person respond? It is only by God's work of regeneration. It doesn't mean that we didn't have to use our intellect or reason or that we're just robots. But the understanding is that we could do nothing by way of making our way to God, responding to him, until first he moved us, until first he gave us new birth, until he helped us respond in faith. So this is my worry with my faith, possession. It's not yours. God made you alive in order to respond. And if I can read this kind of long quotation, and stick with us tonight as we read this, from the Westminster Confession of Faith. It speaks of faith as a gift from God in the following way. Forgive the archaic language. Those whom God effectually call it, he also freely justified, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wroth in them. It wasn't that because it was something new or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, nor by imputing faith itself, the act of believing or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them, they received and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. Isn't that wonderful that God makes us spiritually alive, that he gives us the gift of faith to respond and receive all Christ's benefits so that biblical and saving faith is centered solely on Christ's work and that this faith is a gift from God in order to respond to the saving and atoning work of Christ. Amen to that. And the question is tonight, are you familiar with this? Are you familiar with this saving faith, this type of faith that says, I'm dead in my sins, I cannot respond unless God regenerates me? Where is your trust? Because this is where the rubber hits the road with faith alone. Where are you putting your trust to make you right with God? Is it in a church or structure or denomination? Is it in good living? Is it in your family heritage and background? Is it in what you can do? Because here, God is telling us, you're dead in your sins. You cannot unless he regenerates you, unless he gives you the ability to respond. Saving biblical faith rests, or needs to rest, on three things. And I just want to briefly look at three things before we finish tonight. Biblical faith rests first on knowledge. We can see how this is true if we consider That most of us have a certain amount of knowledge about the pew that you're sitting on. We believe it's wood. We believe it'll hold about three or four, maybe ten, bit dodgy. But you believe something based on knowledge. We know something about it. And so, on the basis of that, you're happy to sit on it, on faith, trusting that it'll hold you up. And it's the same with biblical faith it rests on knowledge, on content. And that is why God's Word is connected with faith. That is why Peter said, add to your faith knowledge. That is why we should be soaked in Scripture and know the Scripture, because that knowledge helps us to trust. And that's why it's important also to be reading good Christian literature. The second thing that faith rests on is belief. You can have all the knowledge you want. You can have all the teaching of Scripture and doctrines, but you may not believe it to be true. And that is why faith rests on knowledge, but also belief. Do you remember what John wrote at the end of his gospel? He said this, so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. Faith needs to know. It also needs to be convinced that it is true. And the great thing about God is that he is truth and he is a truth revealer. At this moment in time, in the small town that I'm from in Kilkenny, in a place called Callan, there is a man who is in his 70s. He has never read the scriptures for himself until recently. And he started to read it, mainly because my mum tried to encourage him to do it in this small town. Never read them before. And he is saying this, before I didn't know it, but now I'm beginning to be convinced that this is true. And here is a 70-year-old man who has never read the scriptures for himself And you wonder, has God done a work of regeneration in his life? That he's beginning to see truth in God's word. And the question is, will he put his trust, his faith in the Lord Jesus? John Calvin wrote this when he wrote about faith and belief. He says, it now remains to pour into the heart itself what the mind has absorbed. For the word of God is not received by faith if it flits about in the top of your brain but when it takes root in the depth of your heart, that it may be an invincible defense to withstand and drive off all temptations. It needs to go from head to heart, from knowledge to belief. And Calvin says this is what it needs to do. But thirdly and lastly, it says this, that faith rests on commitment or trust. Boyce again explains trust in this way. He says, and I love the phrase at the very start, it is a real yielding of oneself to Christ, which goes beyond knowledge, however full or accurate that knowledge may be, and even beyond agreeing with or being personally moved by the gospel. It is handing over. It is committing it. Faith rests on knowledge, belief, and commitment, where one yields their life to Jesus in full reliance on him and his work for salvation before God. And the beauty of this saving faith is that Romans 3 says that the one who has faith in Jesus can be justified before God, not because of anything they have done, but only because of God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. I guess that leaves us with one final question, and this is it. What difference does it make? What difference does it make that we have justification by faith alone? What difference does it make? Martin Luther said of this doctrine that it was a doctrine by which the church stands or falls. Calvin said it was the hinge of the Reformation period. Faith alone, it is a doctrine which gives assurances and confidence. If we are justified by what we do, then to a greater or lesser degree, you will always be wondering, have you done enough? If you're justified through works, Tell me, have you done enough? Most of my family background will say to you, I hope. I hope I have. I've lived a good life. I've tried to be a good neighbor. I hope I have. Is that what the biblical saving fate would say? Eventually, maybe our sins will catch us. It doesn't. See, the thing with resting on works is that it relies on our ability rather than the works of Christ and his achievements. This doctrine of faith alone gives confidence because what it says is, it's not about me. It's about putting my trust in Christ's work and what he has done. And that gives the confidence, not your works. And then lastly, this doctrine is a doctrine which magnifies and honors God and Christ Jesus. If you realize that even your saving faith, your response to God was because of his work of making you alive, then you will see the beauty of God the Father and God the Son in your life. It wasn't because you possessed faith or mustered enough faith or words. It was all a work of God. Edward says this, we should believe in general according to the clear and abundant revelations of God's word that it is none of our excellencies, virtue or righteousness that is the ground of our being received from a state of condemnation into a state of acceptance in God's sight, but only Christ Jesus and his righteousness and worthiness received by faith. So tomorrow, if someone miraculously were to say to you, how am I put right with God? It is true faith. Where do I get my faith from? God will help you respond because he regenerates. And we do not know when that happens within individuals. But then saving faith, trusting faith, is built on knowledge. It is built on belief. It is built on commitment. And so this great doctrine of the Reformation, of faith alone, we have seen tonight, it magnifies and glorifies God. And it gives great confidence for the Christian because it is all about Christ and not about our works. So far in the solas of the Reformation, we've seen that Scripture alone is our authority and for life and practice. Justification is through faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace. And next time we will see that it is all done for the glory of God alone. Let me pray for us as we continue on tonight in our service. Father, tonight we thank you again for the reminder of your gospel that you have taken spiritually dead people, you have made them spiritually alive to respond to you in faith and trust, and Father, we thank you again for just the wonderful work of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary, that he died for our sins, that he satisfied the wrath and justice of you And that, Lord, you raised him to life. And, Father, we thank you that for all who trust in him, there is eternal life, life to be lived, fullness of life. And, Father, today we pray, forgive us for when we turn faith alone into works and a bit of faith. Forgive us, Lord, when we change and alter it for others. And, Father, we thank you today for the lovely reminder that it is that giving of oneself over to Christ that is what it means by faith alone in all that he has done. Lord, may these truths warm our hearts. May we rejoice in them ourselves, and may they help us as we proclaim this gospel to people at work tomorrow, for those in our family. And we rejoice that it is true faith in Christ Jesus by his grace alone, to the glory of God alone. Lord, may these truths permeate our heart and our thinking and our way of life, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.